this morning we are going to cover, uh, which of course we're still in John 6, we're going to cover uh, verses 35 through 51. So John uh, chapter 6, verses 35 through 51. That's where we are this morning. Let me read those verses for us. Where are we? 35. There we go. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that of all He has given me I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about Him, because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He, who ha- he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Uh, Father, as we open your word, Father, we pray pray that you will bless the reading of it. Father, we pray that you will bless it to our ears and bless it to our hearts and understanding, Father. And Father, we ask that you use the truth found in your word to change us and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as by way of introduction to this section, uh, Dr. Sproul told a story about, uh, uh, well, it was a real account, not a story, but uh, of a time in the past where um, this woman had written, this is, they were still, you know, at Ligonier, and uh, this woman had written a letter to him personally saying that she was canceling her subscription to Table Talk. Y'all know Table Talk, right? The magazine that we get here. Uh, it's, uh, what, what did I, I've always heard it described as a, as a daily bread on steroids, you know, the Our Daily Bread. It's a good devotional, right? Um, but the Table Talk is just, there's a lot more to it, right? Um, anyway, a magazine that's been, a long, been around for a very long time, produced by Ligonier. Anyway, in her letter, uh, she stated that she had read on one of the editions there was an article by the late James Montgomery Boyce, and he was, um, the point of the article was all about election and predestination. 
And uh, she stated, I'm, I'm canceling my subscription because I, I can't believe this is true. And I have a real problem with this. Uh, and so she canceled her subscription to Table Talk. And so Dr. Sproul goes on to say, you know, I myself have struggled with the doctrine of predestination, especially as a young Christian. He doesn't struggle with it now, but he said he did, right, as a young uh, believer. And he said, even now, uh, I struggle with many things that are plainly taught in Scripture. He went on to say that while he was in uh, seminary, uh, he kept uh, a card on his desk where he studied, and it said this, he says, uh, you are responsible to believe and teach what the Bible teaches. Not what you want, not what you would like for it to teach. I'll read that again because I've messed it up and I stumbled. You are responsible to believe and teach what the Bible teaches, not what you would like for it to teach. Okay? Um, good reminder, right? Uh, good reminder for anyone who approaches the Word, especially for our teachers and preachers, right? It's, they, they have a responsibility to teach what is here, not what you would like for it to teach. And so he went on to say, I realize that there may be some things in the Bible that I don't like. Okay, But when I come to that, when there's something that I don't like, he says, the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with me. Right? That's the problem. Okay, If we find those places that we don't like, the problem is not with the Word. The problem is with the one who's doing the reading. And so we say all that to introduce the text at hand, the, the scripture that we're looking at today. Uh, this text that we just read uh, includes Jesus' pronouncement that he had come down into the world from heaven. And we will see that not everyone who has rushed to hear from Jesus, right, after seeing all the miracles and the signs, not everyone was very happy uh, to hear what he would have to say. And so uh, many of those followers, and even some who claimed uh, who claimed to be disciples, okay, uh, even those uh, turned away after they heard Jesus's uh, talk here, his speech here. Uh, last week, if you remember, in verse thirty-four, uh, the people asked, "Lord, give us this bread always." You remember, and at that point, we said last week they still didn't really; they were still thinking physical bread. They were thinking of a food that they could ingest and they would never be physically hungry again. And so Jesus starts in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Remember we said there are uh, seven I am sayings in the Gospel of John, and this is the first one. Okay, This is the first of the seven I am sayings. And you remember we built that out, right? But I am, I am who I am. Really, is the is the the, the literal uh, translation from uh, the words that Jesus used. Jesus makes it clear that uh, by saying this, that the bread of heaven. Remember, they're just asking for the bread of heaven. It's not physical bread. That's Jesus's point here. It's not physical bread. Rather, Jesus was saying, "It's it's me myself. I am the bread from heaven." And he says that those uh, who would cease to hunger and thirst must do what? They must come to him first and believe in him. That's what he's saying about himself being uh, the bread of life. And then he goes on in verse 36. He says, but I said to you that you have not seen me, excuse me, but I said to you that you have seen me 
and you and yet do not believe. So these people that are before him, they have they have been observing him. That he's gaining some attention. Uh, they have observed these signs, these miracles. Right, the most recent with feeding the five, uh, the twenty thousand people. Uh, they sat under his teaching, but they still do not believe what he's saying. Why? Why do they not yet believe? That's not a trick question, really. Kind of is, but it's not. Simply put, why? They're not able to. Simply put, they're not able to understand what Jesus is saying. And that's why the next verse is, is very crucial, okay, to what Jesus is building out about who he is and what he's come to do. Verse 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Dr. Sproul said here about this verse, he says, If we could understand the import of this single verse of Scripture, all of the theological battles of the ages over election and divine sovereignty and human responsibility would vanish. We could understand really what Jesus is saying here. All those discussions, right? Anybody been, anybody had, we're all good Presbyterians here, right? Anybody been in a good discussion with a non-Presbyterian or somebody else, a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ about election? Have you had good discussions about elections? Used to be one. Used to be one. Yeah, thank you. Yes, used to be one. Um, what any anything you want to add to that, preacher? Uh, it. Uh, I just I think um, patience and long suffering and being willing to remember uh, from where we came. Right. You know, if if the Lord is patient with us, we can certainly be patient with others who may struggle to grasp or appreciate what we believe about the doctrine of election. It's not that we believe we're better. It's actually we believe we're third or worse, and. Uh, it, it does actually magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus. Um, yes. More than being able to say, I can choose it. M- very much so. Anybody else had a discussion? Uh, I, you know, I, I hope you have, because it helps helps you to sharpen what you believe. But I think as uh, Pastor Matthew was saying, um, we have to be careful, okay, because... It, it it shouldn't be we shouldn't come from a I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going I'm I know more than you or understand more than you know it's it's a it's a difficult doctrine for a lot of people and it should be handled with care right and love right it should be and and again well, it's a brother or sister we're gonna we're gonna be with them in heaven forever right uh, so it uh, it is it is a difficult doctrine to uh, to kind of debate but. Jesus was speaking here um, about all those people who would come to Him and then would respond to Him and receive Him. And then He's talking about how, because He talks more about how they're motivated to do that. How do they come to that place? He also teaches here that the people before Him, He's teaching the people before Him, this, this crowd that is still gathered to see Him, that there are a set number of people whom the Father has determined will come to the Son. Jesus is teaching that here. There are a set number of people. And they are gifts to the Son. The Father has given them to the Son. Uh, of course, 
We'll talk more about this later um, in uh, in this gospel. R.C. asked the question here. What's, he said, um, the deepest theological question that I can think of in response to this doctrine is why me? You ever had that discussion with yourself? When you come to the doctrine of election and you embrace it, um, I think that's a natural next question, isn't it? Why me? And, of course, I agree with Dr. Sproul. He says, I have no adequate answer. Really. Um, Have you ever asked, you know, why did God save me? We, we we know that it's nothing in and of ourselves, right? Remember the the false view of predestination that that uh, that some hold to that God you know looked down through time and and He saw beforehand who would choose Him and so therefore He chose them and that was the basis of His choice or His election. We know that's not true. Um, that's not biblical. We really must be amazed. What we, what we can, as we come to this, we have to be amazed by the measure of grace that God's poured out on us who believe. That is that is the the why me? Well, there's nothing in me. It's it's all in the sovereign choice of Him and His grace. And so we have to just you can just be amazed at that, amazed at the grace that He pours out on not just you but all those who believe. And uh, over in First uh, John chapter three, uh, verse one, can we? Can we? These are the words of John. Uh, he says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God." Behold, what manner of love! What what manner of love is this? This is this is this is amazing. Behold, this this is something to be amazing that we of all people should be called the children of God. Now. The truth is, we cannot give one single reason under heaven, okay, under heaven, as to why God would choose to save us. We have no reason under heaven. What we know is that together, okay, together, before the foundation of the world, the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed to make salvation what? Salvation possible? No. They did not agree to make salvation possible. They didn't, they didn't say together within the Godhead, let us make man our own image. We're going to have them here. They're going to fall. And then we're going to have a plan of salvation where that they may choose to come back to us. They didn't, they didn't come up with that plan and decide, okay, the Son is going to go. He's going to become human. He's going to, to sacrifice, offer His life, and then potentially be, and if everyone who chooses Him, then will come to Him. And, and, and so they didn't, they didn't come up with that and didn't say, okay, let's step back and let's watch and see what happens. Right? They didn't do that. The Trinity did not do that. The Godhead did not do that. God, in His infinite wisdom and love and grace and mercy, made salvation certain. Absolutely certain for those whom He would choose to give to His Son. Absolutely certain. And so our Lord said, what? That all the Father gives to me will come to me. I'll lose none. All of them that He has given to me will come to me. Now that is the very rock of offense. Okay? Uh, That many will trip over. 
many believers will trip over this because it implies accurately that God never intended to save everyone. Okay? It's a rock. It's a rock of offense. Many many Christians today are what we would call semi-Pelagian in their theology. They would, this statement by Jesus, okay, they'll read it this way. Now, let's, let's read it again, right? The statement says what? It says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. That's what Jesus said. Many today read it this way. All who come to me, the Father will give to me. You see the difference? There's a dramatic, there's a drastic difference, right? The two statements do not agree with one another. This is, when, when we look at this and, and, and you read it that way, that's Arminianism. That's what that is, right? The Arminian is, Arminianism says, we come, we decide. That's in really simple terms, right? We come to Jesus, we decide for Jesus. Then the Father acknowledges that decision and then gives us to the Son. That's an Arminian way of looking at salvation. We come, we decide. It kind of, it, 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 it switches around. It reverses the roles, doesn't it? It kind of puts us in charge. Right? It does. It puts us. We decide. But that's not the way Jesus taught it. He did not say that. Okay, He says, The ones whom the Father has given to me will come to me, every last one of them. And we must not forget uh, the second half of that verse. And he says, And the ones who come to me, I will by no means cast out. So Jesus is saying, All the Father has given to me will come to me. And when they come to me, I will never lose them. They will Not one of them. I will, they will never be separated from me. They are mine forever. That's what Jesus is saying. That's amazing, isn't it? That's just an amazing... Uh, it's an amazing truth, an amazing reality. Now, here, Jesus was not just teaching unconditional election, because He's teaching that, right? Unconditional election. That was, we were elected in Christ before the foundation of the world based on no condition. It was completely God's sovereign choice. So He's not just teaching that. Oh, He's not also just teaching irresistible grace. He's also teaching what? What's the third element? Perseverance of the saints. What is that's a that's a a theological term, right? That means what? That basically says what? I'll never Jesus said, I'll never lose one of them. That's perseverance of the saints. That means what? When you are in Christ, you can never lose your salvation. He's because why? Because who's holding on to you? Are you holding on to Christ? It's the other way around, isn't it? Christ is holding on to you. That's truly, absolutely amazing, isn't it? Even when I want to run and turn the other way sometimes, He's still holding on to me. He's still holding on to you. Because why? What does it say? The Father has given me, has given you to me. You're mine. I will never lose one. First John... Chapter 2, verse 19. 
Because Jesus is saying, I will never lose one of them. I, I will never, they, they will never leave. And, 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 and over in 1 John, we read these words. It says, they, we're talking about people who left the church. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. What, what, who's John talking about? Okay. In 1 John. He's, he's speaking about church members, people who, who came into the body, made a profession of faith, joined the fellowship, but then they left. Right? They left. But he brings this truth. Where, what, if you wanted to paraphrase what John was saying, John was saying about salvation, if you truly have it, then you can never lose it. And if you lost it, then you never really had it. Isn't that what John is saying? That's what he's saying. If you truly have salvation, you can never lose it. And if you say you lose it, you lost it, then you never had it to start with. And that's what John that's what John is saying in chapter two. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That's what that was his point. Jesus uh, Jesus goes on in verses thirty eight to forty to explain this some more. This is verses uh, thirty eight, thirty nine, and forty. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that He has given me I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have an everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. So Jesus is making things very clear, okay, that it is God, is in God, that in all those whom the Father has given to the Son, uh, that He has done that. I'm the one that's come down from heaven. The Father has given those to me. I'm the Son. And He says what? He said, none shall be lost and they will all receive everlasting or eternal life. Those terms are interchangeable. Okay, everlasting life, eternal life. Uh, you can kind of use those interchangeably. Now, we talked about, as we introduce this section, this is an idea that many people have a problem with. But even the Bible, okay, over and over again, these people, okay, the people that Jesus says the Father has given to him, what does the Bible call them over and over again? One small word, right? The elect. The Bible uses that word. Over and over again, the elect. Yet many people today still, you when you talk about that word, they don't like it. They reject it for whatever reason. But uh, and and so even so, it's at this point. Okay, Jesus is building out about himself being the bread come down from heaven. Um, it's not physical bread. the The Father has decided who's going to come to me. I will lose none. So at this point that the people became even more confused. And now, they start to complain. Okay, now they're complaining. Verses 41 through 42, he says, The Jews then complained about Him, because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then He says, I have come down from heaven? Now, think about the amazing doctrines here that Jesus is talking about. Okay, Jesus is talking about a bread 
Himself being the bread that comes down from heaven. He's performed these amazing miracles. He's, he's, he's um, talking about salvation, how people come to, to eternal life. He's explaining what, what it's, it's, it's this whole process. And so, but what are the people still confused about? They're confused about where He was born. That's, I mean, they're, they're confused. He's, he, Jesus is making these statements about His origin and they just skipped all across all that about salvation. How to be saved. He's telling them how to obtain the bread of life that leads to ever, eternal life. And what are they worried about? They worry about where He's born. Since He was familiar to them, okay, they, it says they knew Him. Hey, we know His mother and His father, Right? So he's familiar to them. They had a hard time getting past his statement that he was the bread that now has come down from heaven. They can't get over that. That, that doesn't that didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense to them. It just kind of their 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 gaze is in the wrong place. Okay, they're looking at the wrong thing here. So then Jesus does what? He admonishes them. Second half of verse forty three says, "Do not murmur among yourselves." He told them. Then he uh, reiterates what he already said about salvation, uh, but then he expands on it in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Everybody's familiar with this verse, right? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, this pronouncement from Jesus is what uh, some have called the universal negative proposition. Right? The universal negative proposition. Well, let's, let's break that down, right? So he begins with the words, no one. Okay, no one. Which means, literally, no person Without exception. Okay, that's what no one means. That is everyone. No person, no human being, without exception. And then he added the word can. Okay, this this word can has to do with ability. But since he said no one is able to do so, he was speaking what? About an inability. Is really what he's talking about. He's talking about an inability. He, he was about to declare something that no one can do. That's what he's about to say. No one can do this on their own. He was saying that no human being was capable of coming to him. We are, as we know, dead in the fallen state. Dead in trespasses and sins. And therefore what? As Jesus says, there's no way you can come to me. You can't even, there's just, he says, no one can come. No one. No, nobody. And then he uses the word unless. So what is, no one can come, talking about uh, inability, we're all unable. And he says unless. And so the unless is referring to what? A necessary condition. This next thing I'm about to tell you has got to happen. That's what Jesus is saying. Something must take place before the desired result can come to fruition. And so what is the necessary condition? Jesus says it, right? He says, the Father who sent me draws him. That's what he said. The Father who sent me draws him. That is the necessary condition. 
Now, we've talked about misunderstood verses. Okay? This verse is often misunderstood. And it's misunderstood based on the interpretation of the word draw. Okay? That's the source. That's the, that's the problem here, right? It's not really a problem. It's a problem for some. But as we study, we realize it's not a problem for us at all. Some people would say when we think of, of drawing someone, okay, trying to draw him, we think of someone trying to woo someone or entice them, right? Trying to convince, right? Uh, you know, um, we ha- you know, this happens all the time with teenage children, right? <laughs> we try to convince them to do some things. Because you, once you get there, we had this discussion this morning, once you get to teenage children, it's very hard just to keep telling them what to do. Now, you can do that. They're still children, right? But, you know, when they be, you all know, I'm looking at all the, the senior parents in the room. You know, they have a mind of their own now, and it's, it's a different approach, isn't it, a little bit. Um, it's a different approach. You try to work with them. You try to entice them, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes you still have to say, no, you're going to do it, right? It still works. Well, so we think of, of drawing in, in that kind of aspect, but the Greek word used here, Okay, the literal Greek word used here actually means to compel. Okay, does that sound different than to entice or to woo? To compel. It's kind of talking about what the kids right now. I'll drag you there myself. You don't. You won't come to me. I'll jerk you up by your neck and drag you here, and I'll compel you. Right? That's right. I mean, that's that's kind of. Now we're kind of on a little bit different same page, sir. So, so, but, so Jesus didn't use this soft word, to woo or to entice. He didn't use that. The meaning here of this word is much stronger. In fact, and this is where it becomes real to us, right? He used the same word, or the same word was used in the book of Acts. Okay, Acts chapter 21, verse 30, when Paul was seized and dragged out of the temple at Jerusalem. The same word is used here. Now, so you, you remember, okay, the Jews were not happy with Paul, right? So do you think that these angry Jews came to seize Paul and they were trying to woo him into coming with them or trying to entice him? Do you think that's what they did? No. They drug him out of there, right? They compelled him. They drug him out against his will, right? It's the same word. It's the same word here. This word, draw. So this, this word here, the Father who sent me draws him, is a much stronger word. So we can't take that interpretation that this is, this is uh, the Father trying to, to woo somebody to his son. No, this is a much stronger word. What about that hymn? Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Keep on going. Have a good song. Keep going. I mean, <laughs> sing a solo. You know, I think of that as like like Jesus is begging you, please come home. Please. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I've always had a problem with that song. I don't know. But maybe that's Anybody cool. else that has a better idea of hymnody want to expound on that? Um, off the top of my head, I mean, it. It's uh, not compelling. That's it's a, just a hymn. It's just, yeah. Well, it's not that's the Word of God, meeting. first of all. Well, there is a hymn and the, and the reference in the scriptures to behold I stand at the door and knock. Uh, but that can be turned in a way to say, well, God's a gentleman. Jesus is a gentleman. 
he'll never force himself upon anyone. And I was just getting ready to ask you, um, Jason, in regards to this, and related to what Karen asked, the difference between Paul being dragged somewhere against his will is that when God draws us, he actually changes our will. He doesn't drag people kicking and screaming into the kingdom. He actually takes out a heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. So it is that very strong same word that is referenced in Acts, but but nobody is exercising saving faith against their own will. Yes, transformation that that's a should I, that's a wrong. I shouldn't have used that uh, comparison. I guess when no, I was speaking I about a, Paul, I think but it's a fine comparison because it's a distinction in the Greek, right? But in terms of our theology, we know right. We know people's hearts are changed. Their, their desire, their will, all of those things are, are working in salvation. And that's why I think there are, is a, a great deal of misunderstanding, especially for young Christians, to say, well, there was so much that I was doing. There was so much I was called to do. I was called mm-hmm. to believe. I was called to repent. I was called to confess faith in Jesus. And now you're saying, none of that was me. I had no action. We're saying, well, you did have action, but only because there was a prior action upon your heart. Right. Um, there was a, a prior movement. So softly and tenderly, I think there may be times when, when Jesus does call us softly. He doesn't always fire and brimstone. Um, but he he absolutely does. When he calls, we respond. We respond. We creation. Well, because your point, he, we... we we didn't not spending a lot of time on that piece of it in this particular lesson, but we talked about the irresistible grace that Jesus was teaching. Right? Yeah. Um, is it you, the 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 free will of the human being is never violated in election? Okay, that's a hard one to 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 cut up, and you know we don't want to get on rabbit trail here, but but you do end up choosing Christ. But why? Because the Father has drawn you, right? That's a simple way of saying. What Matthew's saying, he's made you spiritually alive. Well, we asked earlier, we asked, why didn't the people understand what was going on here? Why didn't they understand what Jesus was saying? Because they weren't able to. Okay? That's, that's why. You, before you knew Christ, you weren't able to understand the things of Christ, right? You weren't un, uh, able to understand, but then the Father drew you. Okay? Simple phrase, there's a lot behind that, but, uh, but he opened your eyes so you could see. And then you came. To Christ, because the Father has drawn you, and yes, you're you're. Some people are draw, brought into the kingdom kicking and screaming, right? I think they'll tell you that. That's right. Right. Some people came. God had prepared the soil of their heart in what it was working in by bringing them up, hearing the word all the time, or something like yeah. that. So, for them, it's a little harder to say it was just this day, maybe, or whatever, because God was working all the time. Right. But there are others who've never heard, they've not had the exposure to it, they've taken the wrong roads every direction, they're so hardened, God has to go and use his hammer and say, crack that hard heart. Yes. And he does that, and he will do that. I think you're exactly right. Exactly right. There's, that's a good discussion. That's, that's helpful, isn't it? As we, that's a very good discussion. Thank you all for, for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Continue the solo. I want to hear the rest of the song. <clears throat>
Um, the point that we know and that Jesus is making this, this statement here that we are so corrupt, our hearts are so hardened, as we just talked about, to the things of God that we cannot come to Him. We cannot respond to Him on our own. Jesus, the, 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 the God must act first. He must act upon our, our lives and our hearts. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. What did, what did He tell Nicodemus about how you become saved, how you, become, how you have everlasting life? What does He say? Unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. That's the, it's, that's the Father drawing someone, right? Born again, coming to a new, a new birth. Because in our natural state, if left to ourselves, we are completely unable and unwilling to come to God in the natural state, in our natural fallen state. And so if the Father wants us to come to Christ, He must effectually call us. Okay, and that's kind of what we've been talking about here. And of course... If you're a Christian today, which I'm looking around the room, I think we all are Christians here. I'm sure we all are. That's exactly what He did for you, didn't He? He, he brought you the bread of life that came down uh, from heaven. And R.C. said, he added something here. He says, when we think about this, he says, please don't take credit for what God has so mercifully done for you and working in you. Please don't take credit for that. Because by removing the scales from your eyes and the wax from your ears and giving you the capacity to hear the Word of God and see the sweetness of the Savior. That's an act from who? From God Himself. And Archie says, please don't take credit for that. And I would agree with him. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has learned has heard and learned from the Father, comes to me. Jesus is still trying to expound on what, or He is expounding on what He's trying to tell them. And here, He paraphrases uh, an Old Testament verse from Isaiah 54 uh, to support the point that when someone comes to faith and repentance uh, to God, it is because they have been taught and therefore drawn by God. That's kind of what. That's why he's using uh, this this verse from Isaiah. Now he uses two words: drawing and learning. It's really not two different things. It's two different aspects, if you want to say, of God's sovereignty uh, and the way He acts upon someone's life. Okay, so it's it's not a two separate things. It's just two pieces of kind of the same thing. Um, verses. 49 through uh, 50. It says, Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. You remember, why does he mention the, the manna in the wilderness? Remember, they brought it up, right? Remember this before? We studied it last week. They wanted Jesus to perform a sign, right? They wanted him to, he's like a, a show and exhibit at the fair. You know, hey. Moses gave our fathers a man in the desert. You know, see what can you do something better than that? Basically. And so Jesus brings up this manna in the wilderness. And what does he say? He's he's contrasting the earthly bread, which really did happen, right? He God really did give manna from heaven. Just as just as Jesus had uh, just before this uh, multiplied uh, the fishes and the loaves. But he's making a distinction. That's earthly bread, earthly sustenance, and there's a difference between that and the heavenly bread. This, the manna that was given in the wilderness to your fathers, it, yes, it was sent from heaven, sent from God to sustain them for their physical needs. But it could not do what? It could not lead them to, it could not give them eternal life. 
and it could not meet their spiritual needs. And so Jesus is still trying to make this distinction because what they're still thinking about physical bread, he's thinking about salvation. He's thinking about spiritual salvation. The the bread of life, as Jesus says, has come down from heaven, and Jesus saying, "I am it. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the bread of life." And then in verse 51, the last verse here, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now this is where people started having a problem, right? They had a big problem. When he said what? He said, the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Why do they have a big problem? Because they're still looking at it the wrong way. They're thinking cannibalism. How's he going to give us his flesh to eat? Right? We're going to get to this, Lord willing, next time. But how's he going to give us his flesh? And they became, whoa, this is crazy, right? And because of this saying of Jesus, what does it, it tells us in our next, we'll study it next week. Some people who have been with him left after hearing this. Why? Because they still don't understand. They, they weren't, they didn't understand, right? Um, ultimately, why did they understand? Because God had not opened their eyes and their ears and to allow them to understand what Jesus is saying. Of course, here, uh, when He says, I shall give my life, uh, excuse me, talking about His flesh, that He will give uh, for the life of the world, Jesus is doing what? He's talking about His impending sacrifice, what would happen as He offers His life upon the cross. Um, That He would voluntarily uh, lay down His life for an evil and a sinful group of people. And so Jesus is already uh, foretelling what will happen. Any any questions or any comments? We've had some good discussion this morning with these verses. Anything else? I have about a minute left. Okay. All righty. Hearing none, let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time together. Father, we thank You for um, the discussions that we had that um, add to uh, just our study here. Father, we know that we cannot add to Your Word. We ask that uh, Your Word adds to us. Father, that that You continue to mold us and shape us. Father, um, pray that You will use Your Word to just, just work in our hearts and our minds. Father, change the way we think about the world. Change the way we uh, live and move and have our being. And just remind us that... Uh, we owe everything to you, Father. There's nothing in us that caused you to choose us, Father. We are um, amazed at your grace, Father. Never let us never forget how amazing your grace is. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.